0: So I want you to think about if you were making one of those internet lists of the top five days of your life. What are the top five days of your life? Let's pretend you had a picture of each of those days. What what would be happening that day? What would you be doing that day? I want to propose to you this. Whether you realize it or not, probably most of those days you made a promise. Think about it. You made a commitment to something or someone. It may have been when you got into that school or you got that job that you always wanted and you made a commitment to say, I'm going to work hard. I got in, they honor me with that, but I'm going to work hard at this thing. Or it may have been the day that one of your good friends became your best friend when you said, hey, let's be friends not just for this season of life, but for all seasons. Maybe it was the day that you signed your mortgage uh, contract on your house. It was kind of a day of slavery, but also a happy day. (laughs) You signed a contract. You made a commitment. I'm going to work to pay off this house. For some of us, it's the day that we got married. We stood before God, before the whole church, and made a commitment to this one person over every other person in the whole world. It may be the day that your child was born. And you maybe didn't say it out loud, but as you took that baby in your arms and looked down at it, you said, I promise to take care of you the best that I can. For some of us, it was the day that we gave our life to Christ. We committed to him and said, I'm going to believe your promises, God over all the other promises that this world offers. What's in your top five? And my guess is that most of those days involve a promise, a commitment that you made. But the funny thing about commitments is, they're the best days of our life, but they're oftentimes the scariest days of our lives, aren't they? The weightiest days. Why is that? Because any time that we make a commitment, there's always a risk involved. We have to put ourselves on the line. When I say I'm going to commit to you, it's, but well, what if I can't cut it as a friend, at this school, in this job, what if I can't live up to what I promised to my spouse or to my kids or to God? Some of the people here in this room may have given their life to at soul in the city and doubts are beginning to surface in your head. What if I can't live up to the commitment that I made? And so we feel this fear as well, a fear of failure. And on the flip side of that, anytime we commit ourselves to someone, we become vulnerable, right? What if my spouse stops loving me? What if my child rejects me? What if God gives up on me? So anytime we make a commitment, there's a great joy, but there's a fear of some failure, maybe, and then some fear of rejection. And if you've ever felt rejection, you know how deep it can go. And so uh, today I want to talk about commitment. And we're going to be looking at how do we deal with these fears? And then we're going to be looking at one of the most powerful, profound, visceral commitments in the whole Bible between God and man. And we're going to, wrapped up in this story, we're going to be looking at all the fears and the hopes and the doubts that come with the commitment. And so this sermon, we're going to be looking at three things that God gives. God gives his word, God gives a picture, and then God gives himself. A word, a picture, and himself. So let's start with the word that God gives. So Abraham has left all of his family behind. He's in a new land. And guess what? It's been 10 years. God has promised to give him this land that he's traveled to. It's been 10 years. He doesn't have any of it. God's also promised to give him a child and many descendants. It's been 10 years. No child. Sarah was 65 when they left. Now she's 75. His wife's getting older. It seems like God may not be able to come through for his promises. So God gives his word. And we're going to go over this quickly, so stick with me. Then God comes to Abram in this passage in verse 1 and says, Fear not. He, know, he sees Abram's fear. He says, Fear not. I am your shield. I am your reward. You will have a son. And then he says, Go outside. Abram walks outside. And you gotta, there's no light pollution in Canaan at this time. And so if you've ever been in the middle of the woods where the power's ever gone out and you walked outside and you saw so many stars that you couldn't imagine, God said, look up. You see all those? Can you count those? Because that's how many descendants you're going to have. God meets him in his fear. And then he says, on top of that, I am going to give you this land. So God says, I'm going to give you my word. And the, and the text tells us that Abram believed God. He said, okay, I'm going to believe you. But right afterwards... Abram is still, he's like, okay, I believe in God. And then a lot of us are maybe saying, I believe in God. But then Abram asks this question. He says, but how can I know? How can I know that I will possess it? And you would think God would be like, isn't my word enough for you, Abraham? Come on, ye of little faith. But Abram says, how can I know, God, that you're gonna give me these promises? So God gave his word, but then he gives this picture And it's a very visceral picture if you were paying attention during the readings. God says, go take a cow, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Okay? And then Abraham just starts doing what he knows he's supposed to do. So what Abraham does is he cuts each of those animals in half and then takes the two birds, because it'd be really hard to cut a bird in half, takes the two birds and lays them on either side and splits the animal right down the middle, visceral, I told you, it was graphic, right down the middle, and then separates them so that they are on either side of this path. Now, how did Abraham know to do that when God just said, go take a ram, a goat, a turtle dove, a pigeon? Because in the ancient Near East, this was a common practice. It was called cutting a covenant. Now, if you have been in church a while, you're familiar with the word covenant. You maybe heard it before. You might know all about it. But for those who have maybe been in church a while, but there's still some fogginess or you're new to church and you're, what is a covenant? Well, today we're going to talk about what a covenant is and why covenants are important. So what is a covenant? You ready? You there? All right. This is your chance to learn what a covenant is. Don't miss it. So covenant is, to put it in uh, teenager terms, is a bit of a DTR. Determine the relationship. All right, Abraham and God are, are, are walking, journeying together, and then they have this DTR. And so it's, an, it's a formal way of establishing the relationship. It's a formal way of establishing the terms of the relationship. It involves both parties, both people making what's called a promissory oath, that I am going to do this. This relationship is going to involve me doing this. And so, in ancient Near Eastern times, they would cut these covenants, and it was a conditional covenant, that you would say to a person, okay, if you do that, I promise I will do this for you. And the other person would say, okay, well, if you do that, I promise to do that for you. So, it was an agreement, and there were conditions for that agreement. So then why do the animals need to be cut in half, right? Poor animals. Because What the animals meant is, what they would actually do is both parties, both people making the promise, would walk through the animals as a way of saying, may this happen to me if I break my word. If I don't keep my promises, may I be broken in half. May my blood be shed like that animal's blood is shed. And to us, that sounds really strange. But at that time, this was as normal as signing a contract A mortgage for a house, or as normal as a marriage. This was a normal thing, and so God's taking something familiar to Abraham and entering into it. So God's, so Abraham said to God. Abraham knows God is saying, God is making a covenant with me. And then Abraham waits, and he fights off birds all day that are trying to come and eat the the animals. And then the sun goes down, and it tells us that a deep darkness falls. And Abraham falls into a deep sleep. It's a very powerful scene. And then God speaks to Abraham in the midst of the sleep. He says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So God's prophesying to Abraham the next 400 years, and what's going to happen to Abraham's descendants? That they are going to go to Egypt? and be enslaved for 400 years. And this is God's covenant people, right? And a lot of times we think if we're God's people, then certainly God would never want us to suffer. But here we see that just because we're God's people doesn't mean we're necessarily spared from the suffering of living in a broken world where people enslave people. We're not exempt from suffering. And then God continues and says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. So that's the promise. Even when we're going through tough stuff, that God will ultimately make all things right. I will bring judgment on Egypt, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And then they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God says, you're gonna go through some tough times, your people are gonna go through some tough times, but I'm gonna deliver you. And then after God speaks, out of the darkness comes two images. It's a smoking firepot and a flaming torch. It's getting real, isn't it? So what that is, is theologians tell us that that is a, what's called a theophany, which means an appearance of God. that God shows up in physical form in a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now, what do these images mean? Well, the flaming torch, our minds should jump to the burning bush where God shows up to Moses. And then God leads Israel out of slavery into the wilderness and brings them right to the foot of Mount Sinai where he gives them the covenant and gives them the law. And it says, as they were drawing near, and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountains burned with fire to the heart of heaven. So that image of a fire is supposed to show us God's power and his presence. And then the smoking fire pot is meant to symbolize the big pillar of smoke that would lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And so, in these images of smoke and fire were symbols of God's transcendent holiness, his power, and his presence. So God shows up for the covenant. He shows up to commit himself. But what happens next is totally unexpected. The pot of smoke and the flaming torch pass through the pieces alone. That's not supposed to happen in covenant. It's supposed to be both parties saying, hey, we're both gonna walk through this and may this happen to me if I don't keep my part of the bargain and may this happen to you if you don't keep. But God walks through alone. Why? Because this covenant that God is making with Abraham is not a conditional covenant. It is an unconditional covenant. God is saying, may my body be torn in two, Abram, if I don't keep my promise to you. May my blood be shed if I don't keep my promise to you. And what's Abram doing? He's sleeping. He's passed out. And so God is coming and saying, Abram, this is a covenant of grace. This is a free gift. This is a promise with no conditions. And so we're given this beautiful picture of God saying, I promise to be committed to you, Abraham. Come what may, I will be committed to you. Now, in the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how when we think about committing to something or to someone or or to a relationship or to God, there's this fear. Fear of failure, that we're not gonna live up to it, and fear of rejection, And so by walking through alone, what God is saying is, fear not. I'm the one that's taking this promise. You can't fail. Just accept the promise that I'm giving to you. And you can't lose it. There's nothing you can do to lose it because I alone walk through. It's an unconditional covenant that God is offering to Abraham. And then Abraham, it says, he believed God. He trusted in God, he trusted in the promise. That he said, God, how can I know? And God showed him and he said, okay, I know. Now I know that you're gonna keep your promises. And God is making promises to each of us in this room and asking us to commit to those promises. Asking us to trust in those promises. And sometimes it's hard for us to commit. Maybe we're kind of halfway in, halfway out we don't want to fully commit to God. And what I want to say is that Abraham committed to God. He had, he had God's word. He had God's picture. But we actually have more than Abraham, did. We see a bigger picture than Abraham did. We have more to hang our commitment on. Because God showed Abraham and he showed us his word. He showed Abraham and us this beautiful picture of him walking through and taking the promise on himself. But we also get God himself. That God wasn't, it wasn't enough to just say, okay, I'm going to paint a picture for you, and that's all. God came down in Jesus Christ to fulfill this very covenant act that was given to Abram all those years ago. Now, I want you to stick with me here, because we're going to look at the Galatians text we read just for a second, so that you can see how it is that God fulfilled this covenant Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So when Jesus was hung on the tree, what that means is all of the curses, all of the repercussions, all of the penalty of our sin was poured into him. He took the curse He took the sin, he took the death on himself. And then Paul continues, so that in Christ, the blessing of who? The blessing of Abraham might come to all people. So you see, it wasn't just a picture, but Christ fulfilled the covenant. Think about it. For us and for our sin, Christ's body was broken, torn in two. And for us, And for our sin, his blood was spilled just like those animals' blood was spilled. The Solon City folks have been singing this all week long. We just sang it in our opening song. Our God is a lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. That's why his curse was broken on the cross for you. Why did he suffer so that you could go free So that you could enter into this beautiful gift of a relationship with him. A covenant with him. To lighten the mood a little bit. um, I saw a picture of this a few years ago when I went. Uh, I was home with my wife and we were hanging out with my parents. My parents live on the intercoastal waterway so I went fishing. And I had this kind of crummy pole and I hooked into something really big. And it kept taking my line out, and then I would reel it in, and it would take my line out, and I realized this has got to be a stingray, because, and if you've ever caught a stingray, you know what I'm talking about. They just kind of winged down into the water, and it took forever. It took me 45 minutes. Finally, reeled him in, got him close to the dock, and my dad comes up the dock, and he's got the net in hand, and he's like, "I right, bring him close," and and so he scooped him up, and then we were taking the hook out of the stingray's mouth, and. While we were doing that, his, the, the, his tail and his stinger were getting wrapped around one of the pieces of twine of the net. And so I kneeled down and was starting to try to do it, and my dad came up and said, no, Dan, hold on, let me do it. And I was like, okay, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And so he, he knelt down and he started unraveling the twine, and then the stingray flapped, and it cut right into his finger, and he started bleeding on the ground, and he was, and I was like, Dad, you, and he's like, I got this. And he unraveled it, and he let it go. And we were walking back down the dock, and I asked him, I was like, Dad, I was the one that caught that stupid stingray. I should have gotten, I should have gotten stung. I'm so sorry. And he was like, Dan, no, I'm glad it was me and not you. And that was this very real picture of what Christ has done for us. He's taken the curse. He took the barbs. He took the sting of death from us, out of us, on himself. He bled for us so that we could go free, so the curse could be broken. That's the gift that he offers to us. And so, today, I want to ask you, what's, what's holding you back from committing? Because in this relationship with Christ, in this relationship, he's not going to let us down. We don't need to fear. Like other relationships, we don't need to fear rejection and we don't need to fear failure because he's done it all. And it says that Abraham believed God. And that's what God calls us to do. That's the part we play in this is we believe in God. And the, the Hebrew word for believe comes from the same word Amen. So to believe in some sense means amen. So you could paraphrase that idea of Abraham believing God by saying, Abraham said amen to the Lord. So faith isn't something we muster, our strength. It isn't we clean our lives up so that God can meet us halfway. Faith is a resting in God's promise. It's accepting that free, unconditional, covenantal gift that he offers to us. Christ was broken so that we could be restored. And it's a free gift. And so Christ came to restore us to himself. But he also came to restore all those relationships that I talked about in the beginning of the sermon. If you remember marriage and our relationship to our our work, our relationship with our kids, he came to restore all of those different things. But we have this way of In in relationship to other things, we have a way of saying, God, I'm going to put that a little bit above you. I'm going to look to that to satisfy me, my relationship with my money. I'm going to put that a little bit above you, just a little bit, or my relationship with alcohol, or my relationship with my friends. I'm going to put that a little bit above you. And then we get let down time and time again. Or maybe it's our relationship with our family. We're putting immense pressure on ourselves to measure up as a husband or a spouse, or we're putting immense pressure on ourselves to measure up as a parent, or we've been let down, and God's saying, you're gonna have a really hard time dealing with that relationship until you first receive the unconditional love that I'm offering. Because it's his unconditional love, it's the safety of our relationship with with our vertical heavenly father that has a healing effect on all of our relationships in our lives because we're no longer trying to earn the love of our spouse. We can accept the love that they give us because we know we are unconditionally loved by the Heavenly Father. We no longer have to try to appease our kids and make them love us, but rather we can rest in the unconditional love of Christ and therefore we can unconditionally love our kids even when they're total jerks. I don't even have kids, but I'm just looking ahead. Um, getting ready. Getting ready. And so today, I want to say, whatever burdens you're bringing to the table relationship-wise, the most important relationship you can deal with right now is your relationship to Christ. And I want to conclude today by offering you an opportunity to to commit yourself. We're not going to do an altar call. Don't worry. Um, But I do want to offer you an opportunity to commit yourself to Christ. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you've done it in the past, but your relationship's grown cold in time. And so you need to renew that commitment. Or maybe uh, you are uh, totally committed, but you want to just renew your vows. And I want to commit ourselves to Christ afresh today by doing what is the most common covenant that we get in our time today. Don't worry, I don't have any animals in the back. We're not going to be cutting that kind of a covenant. Um, but I want to do it by, by refashioning the words of the marriage covenant as our relationship to God. And when my wife and I got married, um, the, the pastor did something kind of old-fashioned. While we were saying our vows and exchanging rings, he took my wife's hand and put it here at a kneeler, just like this, and he put my hand over her, and he took this stole in hand took it off himself, and he began wrapping it around our hands as we exchanged vows to say, you are now bound to one another. And this symbolized God, who was there in the promise, saying, you are now bound to one another. And Christ, who is totally committed to us, says, commit yourself to me. Bind yourself to me. I will never reject you you can never fail me because Christ has done the work. So what I want to do now is pray. I'm going to leave a moment of silence to just let us collect our thoughts. And then, if you guys want to recommit yourself or commit yourself to Christ, you can quietly, silently in your head, it doesn't matter, repeat after me these words. That'll be familiar words, but slightly changed. I take you, Christ, Christ, to be my God. I take you, Christ, to be my God, to have and to serve from this day forward, to have and to serve from this day forward, for better, for worse, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish to love and to cherish until we are united by death, until we are united by death. And with all that I am, and with all that I am, and all that I have, and all that I have, I honor you. Now let's conclude together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.